0: Dear listeners, if you felt trapped by an overbearing partner, how far would you go to escape that person's grasp? This is Jones and Wolf, a monthly audio fiction podcast featuring original music. This month's story, Until the Death of Us, explores how far some people will go to be free. Enjoy. Trust me, brother. When it comes to marriages falling apart, I've seen it all. No joke. I once represented a woman who wanted to divorce her husband because she thought he was having an affair with the family dog. She didn't have any hard evidence, but she was convinced about what he was doing with their brown lab, Viola. You should see the way he looks at her, she told me. Like he's looking into her fucking soul, and he'll do it for hours. Just sit there with that bitch and stroke her head like I'm not even there like I've got no idea what's really going on. That was normally how it went during a meeting with a new client, albeit not always that extreme. People talked and talked until they broke down and cried and I just sat there at my desk making the occasional doodle on my legal pad, nodding and agreeing with them until they believed I was squarely on their side and more importantly, felt justified. So I think the woman who thought her husband was having an affair with their dog was really relieved when I told her I'd take the case. I might have been the only person she'd ever told about the suspicion eating away inside her, and that probably explained why she came to feel the way she did about me so quickly. As a lawyer, I've learned that when someone is carrying around a belief so central to their identity that they can't separate the two, a belief that they're afraid to share with most everyone else for fear that they might be ridiculed, and you accept that person's thoughts as truth unequivocal, well... It's been my experience that the person forms a very intimate connection with you. I suppose my larger point though is this. I've been in the divorce business in Houston plenty long, and I've heard all types of ridiculous reasons for why people think it's the right time to sever their relationships. And I've been able to put on a good face and act like I believed almost all of them. But Montana Diaz, the odd shifty-eyed little hermit that came to my office the week before last, And the story he told was far and away the strangest thing i've ever heard in my entire 15 years of doing this mr duval i remember him saying i have reason to believe that my wife may not exist by the same laws of physics that you and i believe to be true i'm sorry i said come again montana had walked into my office wearing sunglasses with his hair messed up and stubble on his chin and when he finally sat down, he crossed one leg over the other and couldn't stop fidgeting. you probably think I'm crazy, he said. I know I would if I was sitting in your chair. Let's forget about judgment for now, I said. I'm just trying to understand what you mean. He nodded and then shook out a cigarette and started smoking like he was in front of a firing squad. I can't believe I'm here telling you this. That's all right. A lot of people feel that way when they walk into my office. No, I can't believe I'm here. Five minutes beyond the radius of my neighborhood. I normally don't travel that far from home. Oh, I said, nodding slowly. I see. Montana took off his sunglasses and rubbed his temples, and that was when I saw for the first time how dark and swollen the bags beneath his eyes were. Looked like he hadn't slept very much in over a month. He took a small photograph out of his wallet and handed it to me. This is her. This is my Diana. I glanced at the picture. She wasn't exactly the most beautiful woman I'd ever seen. And every night she makes up one excuse or another to leave the house. Sometimes she says it's because she wants to buy some ice cream. Other nights she tells me she's just going to drive around for a bit to see the stars, but every single time it's the same. She doesn't return. Not until I fall asleep, that is, and when I wake up, she's right there beside me. I nodded again slowly. The more Montana talked, the more he twitched. He'd already lit another cigarette. "'Look, Mr. Diaz,' I said. "'The situation you're describing doesn't really sound that uncommon.' "'Please don't do that!' He'd frozen and was cringing in pain all of a sudden. "'Please, I don't like it when things start moving around all over the place.' I stopped spinning the framed picture of my law school graduation that I kept on my desk and put it in a drawer instead. could only assume that was what had set him off. What I'm trying to say, though, I continued, is that maybe what you're describing is work better suited for a private detective. I've already hired three. They all told me the same thing. Which was what? He sighed and looked at me for a moment. And it was the first time since he'd walked in that I saw something in his eyes that I'd recognized in other clients. That worn out expression of resignation and vulnerability that comes with telling a stranger the absolute truth that's hiding within. They all told me that my wife is a ghost. If you haven't guessed by now, I'm single. Don't get me wrong though. I don't have anything against marriage personally, I just happen to have a different outlook on it than other people. Whereas most couples decide to get hitched at the apex of their passion and happiness, I'm always approaching it from the end game, when the two can hardly stand to be in the same room anymore and are only united by their mutual desire to fight tooth and nail over something as petty as who gets possession of the entertainment center. Still, I've never been opposed to the idea. I just think a few things should be changed. I'd rewrite the contract for instance, so that instead of lasting an entire lifetime, the partnership clause was a little more reasonable. Like five years with the option to renew or opt out penalty free after three and a half. I actually think wording like that would help more people stay together. There's less pressure that way. The phrase until death has always sounded more appropriate for a prison sentence rather than what's supposed to be the happiest day of someone's life. Because let me tell you, Montana Diaz looked anything but happy. He was chain-smoking, twitching, and every few minutes or so he'd glance over my front door like he was expecting something horrible to come bursting through at any moment. All the while, he was trying to convince me that his wife was supernatural. Every single one of those detectives followed Diana the moment she left her house and each night she went to the exact same place, the Hotel Eucalyptus, just west of the airport, and they all witnessed the same thing. Once she walks into the hotel, she disappears. The detective saw that personally? No, not exactly, but they all entered seconds after her and not one of them could find a trace of her in the building. I nodded and tilted my legal pad so he couldn't see the doodle I was working on. Forgive me if I'm stating the obvious, Montana, but have you ever just asked her where she's been? Of course. She always has an excuse. I'm not sure she even knows what she's saying, though. There's a chance she might not have a clue as to who or what she really is. Like a ghost, for instance. He nodded. I started to laugh and then tried my best to cover it up as a cough. I couldn't help myself. The whole thing was so ridiculous. I'm sorry. I said, But I'm not sure what you want me to do. I can't draw up divorce papers based on speculation that your wife might be supernatural. There isn't a precedent. It's not what I'm asking you to do. Not yet. First, I'd like you to follow Diana and witness it for yourself. Then perhaps we can talk about the legalese. I laughed again and this time I didn't try to hide it. I just told you. I'm not a private investigator. Then think of it as some extra discovery work for a new client, he said, scribbling something in his checkbook and then handing it to me. And I'm not gonna lie, the number he'd written there was big enough to make a grown man cry. When I drove up to the front of Montana Diaz's house later that night, I was pretty sure the check wasn't going to bounce either. His place was massive. I couldn't see all of it because of a wall surrounding the property, but the estate was bigger than any other home I'd ever been to in Houston. It was also the most private. With the wall and all the trees inside, I could see the roof slicing the night sky above the branches, but that was it. God knew what Montana did for a living. When I'd asked him earlier, all he said between cigarettes was, technology. After only a few minutes, the security gate rolled open and I saw his wife's car pull out. That was my cue to follow. Even though there was no one else in the car with me, I started humming the theme to Ghostbusters. Couldn't help myself. The joke was too perfect. I followed Diana on the freeway past the airport and sure enough, she led me straight to the Hotel Eucalyptus. Parked a few rows behind her, watched her get out of the car. It was dark in the parking lot, but I recognized Montana's description of her long, black hair. She was wearing a large jacket over what looked to be a white nightgown. I tried to enter the hotel as quickly as I could after her. I'll be damned if I didn't lose her once I walked through the revolving front door. Unbelievable, I muttered to myself, scanning the lobby and not seeing her anywhere. Excuse me, I said to the concierge. Did you just see a woman with long black hair pass through here? He shook his head. You kidding me? No sir he said. I stood there for a moment and cursed. I didn't believe for a second that Montana's wife was actually a ghost, but I had no explanation for where she could have gone either. I looked around and saw a man sipping bourbon in a leather chair next to the window and I was just about to question him when I heard a service door click shut on the other side of the lobby. I jogged toward it. Excuse me sir, the concierge said. That's for employees only. I headed straight through anyway. It led to a stairwell and I could hear little footsteps pattering above me. I followed as quietly as I could. I wasn't sure if it was Diana or not. Whoever it was though, I kept expecting them to stop at some point but the footsteps kept going higher and higher until we reached the top. That was 10 floors in total and I had to pause to catch my breath before I was able to step out onto the roof. The wind was much stronger there than it had been on the ground and I buttoned my coat against the chill. There was a woman at the edge with her back to me and her black hair was billowing out behind her. Diana, is that you? She turned her head and when I finally saw her face, it was truly shocking because there wasn't any woman standing there on the roof. It wasn't a ghost either. It was Montana Diaz, dressed in full drag. Yes, who are you? I stood there for a moment in disbelief. I knew it was Montana, but I didn't see any flicker of recognition in his eyes. He also seemed much more relaxed than he'd been in my office. He wasn't twitching, fidgeting anymore. He was just standing there calmly, while all the airport traffic rushed by on the freeway ten stories below. Oh, I, I get it. My husband sent you, didn't he? Well, I just can't take it anymore. Always cooped up in that house like a prisoner. And you can tell him that, too. I've had enough. I'm sick of all his rules. I nodded. It was all I could manage. I was still too shocked to speak. Everyone needs an occasional moment of solitude, he said, leaning even closer to the edge. Not everybody can live a life trapped inside their home. But I can see now that Montana won't even let me have that. Your presence here is proof. No matter where I go, he's always lurking right behind me. He seemed serenely calm despite the frays of his nightgown blowing wildly, his hair being thrashed about by the wind. You've never been married, have you? No, I said. I haven't. And I don't think you'll be able to understand my desire to be free. My desire for this. I watched him take a deep breath, and then he stepped backward off the roof. I didn't even have time to shout. I glimpsed his nightgown rush up above his ears, and then heard the weight of his impact on the traffic below. And I had to sit there on that roof by myself for a good long while, to try to understand what I'd just seen. It's a little like Romeo and Juliet. Don't you think? If Romeo and Juliet had been two separate personalities stuck in one poor man's mind, that is. Until the Death of Us was written and narrated by me, Anthony Jones. The music and sound design were done by Joel Wolfe. We'll be back next month with another story. Until then, my ephemeral friends, thanks for listening.